Psalm 45 for our first reading. Psalm 45, verse 1, hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. To the chief musician upon Shoshanim, for the sons of Korah, Muskil, a song of loves. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh, and aloes, and cassia, out of the ivory palaces, whereby they have made thee glad. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. Hearken, O daughter, and consider. Incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall the king Greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto thee. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. Instead of thy fathers shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. So it's an extended uh, psalm title <clears throat> to the chief musician upon Shoshanim for the sons of Korah, Maskil, the song of love. Several elements there in the psalm title that we want to make sure we, we cover. Shoshanim means lily, it's actually the plural, so lilies. And lilies were used in some of the, um, some of the artistry of the temple itself. Uh, There were those two pillars that Solomon made, and at the top of those pillars were chapiters on them. And a chapiter is simply an ornate piece of artwork on top of a pillar at at the very top of it. And there were lilies carved into that work. Um, So they were were, um, 
they were used as a as a uh, <clears throat> as an ornamental uh, flower. Um, so, uh, like the petals of a lily, and it's probably the name of a tune, although some have referred it to the virgin attendance of the bride. Uh, the beauty of a lily is put for them, in other words. It's, it's difficult to know exactly how we're using it here. To the chief musician, obviously, that is that it is a song for public worship. The sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were a part of the, of the Levitical choir that David erected by the direction of the Spirit of God uh, when the Ark of the Covenant was settled in Jerusalem. They no longer carried the Ark, they carried the tune, in other words. And we remember that they were the sons of Korah, that is, that not all of Korah's relatives died with him in his rebellion. So we think of mercy and forgiveness as well. Uh, it is a maskil, that is, it's a wisdom psalm for instruction. So we have to have our, our ears on, right? We have to have our minds engaged. It's an instructive psalm. We'll see about some of that instruction in a moment. And then finally, it is a song of loves. <clears throat> I think that in this song of loves, why, it's, why it is uh, plural instead of singular is because we have a number of, of, uh, of attendants, the bride herself and the king himself, and it's about all of those different facets of love that exists between them all. So it's a song of loves. Um, so we, we move on to verse 1, and we have, My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. It's an introduction to the entire song. It's it, it is a it's a one verse introduction telling us what's about to follow. My heart, the psalmist writes, is stirred up. That's what it means. That's what indicted means. Sometimes indict simply means a writing. Okay, not here. Um, it, it has to do with uh, like a like a judgment or you know a legal judgment, an indictment. Not here. The Hebrew word that is used here is a word that means to stir up. My heart is stirred up, the psalmist says. Well, whenever we hear that in Scripture, we, we want to stop for a moment and ask ourselves about our own hearts, whether or not our hearts are also stirred up. This is, if, if you will receive it, if you will open, beloved, your hearts to it, this is a stirring psalm. It speaks... Of Christ, It speaks of his marriage to his church and that church, not just of Jerusalem or, or Israelites, but the daughters of Tyre as well are coming. And they're, I believe, representative of the entire Gentile church as well. And they become the attendants of the bride. They are with the bride. They are taken with her into the palace of the king. That this is about uh, the king... Obviously, he says, I speak of the things which I have made or written or indicted, touching the king, and my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And so there are, there's just a number of uh, artsy, uh, poetic statements here speaking about the, the psalm that follows. That this psalm is about Christ cannot be gainsaid. Uh, we have the inspired interpretation in Hebrews chapter 11, sorry, chapter 1, which will tell us 
Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Wherefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. That's quoted, speaking of Christ, in Hebrews chapter 1. So we're not left to guess about this. We're not left to wonder, oh, gee, are we singing about Christ or not? This is a shadowy psalm. It's no longer a shadowy psalm, like we said last week. We're not singing through shadows here. We have the bright light of the New Testament brought to bear on this psalm. And bringing that to bear, we say, without fear of being contradicted, that we're singing of Christ and his bride. Okay, so in the first section, I have that as verses 1 through 9, we have the king himself. So notice what is said of Christ here. Beloved, lift up your hearts to receive what the psalmist writes about his Savior and yours. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. God hath blessed thee forever. Well, these are are the praises that belong to Christ. Remember when... The temple guard was sent to arrest Christ. The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin sent out that temple guard. They said, you go get that guy. You bring him back here. And they went and they heard him preach. And he came back empty-handed. Remember that? And those that sent that temple guard said to them, why have you not brought him? And they said, no man ever spoke like that. Grace is poured into his lips. When he was at the synagogue where he was raised in Nazareth, he sat down to read. They gave him the scroll, Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach glad tidings to the poor and so on. He reads from Isaiah 61.1. And then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then they all wondered that were in the synagogue about the words of grace that flowed from his mouth. Right? Well, so we extol the virtues of Christ. He is fairer than the children of men, not in his bodily shape or his face, not in that he's handsome or well-formed, but he is replete with the beauty of holiness. Grace poured into his lips. He is blessed of God forever. Then notice also, he is a warrior king. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, thy glory and thy majesty. Ride prosperously in state because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall find out terrible things for thee. This is a king that is, he's not a soft king. He's not found in the, in the palace on the pillows. He's on his horse. He goes forth, as we read in the book of Revelation, conquering and to conquer. His name is called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His head has many crowns. And the armies which are in heaven follow him. Revelation 19. So then, what else do we say about him? Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall. Under thee. Well, this is, a, this is an interesting phrase which allows for, in its interpretation, what we see in the book of Acts. At the preaching of the gospel, they were pierced in their hearts. 
And what did they do? They fell under Christ, didn't they? They fell under his authority. They called upon his name. Then we turn to that famous phrase in verse 6 here in our, in our psalm. It's Hebrews. Well, let's see. Where is it in my notes here? I, I had the reference if you want to look it up. Verses 8 and 9 in Hebrews chapter 1. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Notice that the Father says of the Son that he is God with a throne that lasts forever and ever and with a scepter that is all righteousness. What is a scepter? A scepter is a symbol of the king's power. Right? It's a symbol of his power, of his greatness, of his authority. Notice that the symbol of Christ's power is righteousness. He is every whit righteous, upright. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. And so he is anointed with the oil of gladness by God himself. His God, that speaks of his messianic office, right? It's only in that way that we can speak of God the Father as the God of the Son, as he is our mediator. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows, above all that Christ has atoned for, has sacrificed for, has brought into communion with himself. No, beloved, we enjoy the anointing of the Spirit of God upon us when we are regenerated only because Christ had the Spirit without measure. Only because He is anointed. So then it speaks of His heavenly origin. Next in verse 8, All thy garments smell of myrrh, aloes, cassia, out of the ivory palaces whereby they've made thee glad. King's daughters were among thine honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. And now suddenly there's another figure that steps onto the stage. So now we look not to the king himself but to the bride. And let's see what the psalmist tells us about the bride. First of all, he will say in verse 10, Hearken, O daughter, and consider... So she, the bride, must be attentive. What she is asked to do will take her great focus. Right? Yes, I know, beloved, salvation is all of grace. I understand. We all understand that. But notice what the, what the queen is told to do, the daughter is told to do. What is she told to do? She must forget her father's house. She must be pointed one hundred percent to the king's palace she forgets her heritage she forgets the land of her nativity she forgets the inheritance that she had of her father's house because it is all death and destruction and she must leave that house and come into the palace of light and life and glory beloved there's no midway there's no midway between following the king and following our father's house we must forget our father's house and move ahead into the palace of our head and husband. So then, um, she must have her loyalty, her affections, her attention, all to her husband. Her father's house must fade in her memory 
as a distant and well-forgotten era of her life. She must not be like Lot's wife, who looked back upon Sodom, yearning for the life she enjoyed there. No, her heart must yearn for her new life with her husband, Christ. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, 1-10, especially in the first couple of verses, will say that we are to set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? What does he say? For ye died. You, you were dead to that. You are dead to that former patridi, parentage, fatherland. And instead you have a new inheritance and destination. So then, um, some commentators will, will, will write about Psalm 45 that its historical occasion was the marrying of the daughter of Pharaoh. And I think that's probably a good historical understanding of, of what Solomon uh, uh, under, undertook and, and what the psalmist wrote. It had to do with the marriage of Solomon to the daughter of Pharaoh. How much more important that the daughter of Pharaoh learned to forsake her father's house. Right? That only adds to our understanding of that we must turn away from the land of our heritage. Notice also that she must make herself beautiful for the king. And how does she do that? By forgetting her own people and forgetting her father's house. So in this way shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. He is thy Lord. Worship thou him. So we serve our king, our head, our husband. Then we have the daughter of Tyre. She'll be there. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. He didn't have to say within, did he? He didn't have to say. They didn't have to put that word in there. And Bible writers don't just put words in willy-nilly. This is the word of the Lord. What is the work then of the Lord upon his bride? It is primarily an inward work, is it not? To make us all glorious within. Sprinkling your heart from an evil conscience to serve the living God, right? So then, um, her beauty is not found in the trinkets she brought from Egypt. Her beauty is found in her devotion to her husband, in her singular loyalty to Christ. She is to worship her husband, her God. And notice she is all glorious within. And then secondly, she submits to the marriage. She is brought to the king. First know that none can come to Christ of his own accord. Right? All that the Father hath given me shall come to me. All that the Father hath given me. She is brought to the king then there is a way that she is brought to the king. She is drawn by the Father and wooed by the Spirit. And I'm reminded here in Psalm 45 of that wonderful passage in Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. We'll not take the time to go there and read it because we're in a scripture reading here instead of a, of a sermon. But I'll remind you of Rebekah. Eleazar of Damascus, I believe it's him. He covers much ground, doesn't he? To go all the way back to Haran and to find a, a wife for his master Isaac. 
And away he goes. And he brings the tokens of his master's wealth and authority. That he's the prince of the covenant. And so away he goes. And he meets up with with Bethuel and Laban. And he has all of those signs of his master. And they, they want him to come in and sit down and have a meal. And he says, not till I have, not till I have uh, exhausted my errand here. And he tells of his master's greatness, of his relationship to God, that he is the inheritor of the world in Christ. And, of course, Bethuel and Laban, they're not quite yet ready to part with their daughter. And so there is a negotiation. Oh, well, tarry here a couple of nights with us. Stay at least a couple of weeks so we can, we can hash all this out. And finally, they turn to Rebecca and they say to her, Will you go with this man? And she says, I will go. She has been wooed over to the master, to the prince, by the emissary, Eleazar of Damascus. And so she goes. But beloved, the same is true. None come to the Lord Jesus Christ kicking and screaming as it were. There is that same work of the Spirit of God upon the will. Whereby we no longer are enemies to Christ. We become his bride instead. So then, moving on. um, Instead of thy father's. Right? Instead of thy fathers. Let's read that for a second here. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. Instead of thy fathers shall be thy children. Isn't that an interesting statement? What is being said there? That this daughter of Pharaoh and this daughter of Adam turns away entirely from her heritage. Instead of your father's Now you're going to look ahead at your heritage, your children, what comes next instead of what came before. Your eyes are completely turned away from where you came from now to where you're going. And and those who will come after you, those whom you will nurture up in the Lord, they will take up your attention and affection rather than where you came from in your father's house. So it is a complete turning away. From the land of our heritage, the dark land of Adam, into the palace of Christ. So in closing then, as we close out our reading of Psalm 45, let us remember that it is incumbent upon each of us. And it is a sad thing, isn't it? That many do theology with their feelings and their eyes rather than by faith in what God's word has said. And so, because it seems like, as we have said, that there was a willingness, it seems to many that it was their own wills, apart from godly influence, apart from that overturning of their former affection toward their father's house. Yet, Lord, yet, yet, yet the Lord will require us, will he not, to say, yes, Lord, I will come, I will follow, I will I will join myself to Christ because those words rise up out of a new heart, do they not? And while none of us can bring himself or herself to Christ, we all will be brought 
those who belong to him, those for whom Christ died, those whom God foreknew, they will be brought through that preaching of the gospel. And so we have then in Romans chapter 10 verses 12 through 15, all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All that call upon his name. Well, I hope that you, beloved, me, us, together, that we have said, yes, I will go with this man. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer.